Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Post in Black, where we celebrate black excellence behind the lens. My name is David Hunter Jr., and I am thrilled to have you join us for another episode today. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Madonna Wade Reed, the current vice president of the Music Guild of Supervisors. Madonna, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Hi, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, no, we're happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. And as a custom to Post in Black, we're going to jump right in with an icebreaker. Okay. Are, are you okay with that? Yep. Awesome. Go. Awesome. Okay. If you had the chance to take a three-week vacation in one place or three weeks of hitting multiple cities, what would you like to choose? I would hit multiple cities. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if you're one of those, like, I mean, let me go off to a remote island and, and sit and put my feet up and not be bothered. Um, what, what? I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad if I had to spend like three weeks in Bali, but I would love to do some country hopping in Europe. Okay. All right. What, what, what specific countries would you want to hit in that, in that span? Um, I want to go to Italy. I've not been to Spain. Um, I'd like to go to Berlin. Hey, hey, I, 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 I mean, if you need a travel buddy, you know, to hang out, or, <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we could hang. I, I like those places. I need the time. I need the time off to travel. That that's, that's the one part that you have to have to factor in. You're right. You're so right. Yeah. But I think you, you think you got a good taste right there. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Madonna, <laughs> we, we thank you for joining us today. And obviously we know a little bit about you ourselves, but would you mind just sharing, you know, more about yourself, who you are, what it is you do, where you're from, where you grew up. All right. Um, I'm a ride or die Canadian. I always lead with that. Yeah. I'm very proud Canadian. Um, I'm just a kid who grew up watching movies and a lot of TV. And by the time I was ready to go to university, it turned out you could go and learn how to create these things that I love to watch. So I went to school for it and when I was done, I thought, let's swing for the fences and move to the States, move to Los Angeles, move to Hollywood, literally Hollywood. That was the goal. I lived at Franklin and La Brea. I moved here and I was going to work in the movies and I was going to make TV and, you know, really big dreams that um, apparently I worked really hard and they came true. So. Oh man, that is awesome. That's awesome. And you 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 were specific, not just Hollywood in general, but you actually moved to Franklin. I know exactly where that is and people don't know that. <laughs> that's a nice little intersection, you know, you're over there by by going to the other uh, up in the It park. wasn't nice when I moved it, here it, by the way. I mean, I mean, it was nice, colorful? Yeah, yeah, nice in terms of like, yeah, quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I could see the Hollywood sign. I could knew the studios were right behind me and I thought, well, this is, you gotta be in the nucleus, you gotta be in the center, so you're prepared to go in whatever direction you need to go to take whatever job you need to take to build up your career. So my first job was literally a bus ride straight down La Brea to Wilshire. Oh. That was my first job. Wow, wow, that journey. And that, I mean, that, that yeah. I'm sure we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a lot of the stories <laughs> and, and the history. You, you've, had, you've had an extensive career can you talk about what it's like growing up in Canada and having a having a desire to want to work in the film industry? Because obviously I'm not I'm not sure of all the dynamics there, but maybe, you know, what intrigued you and got you got you started even wanting to have that desire? Um, I mean, there was there were sort of two factors of what you could see growing up in Canada, which was 
whatever imports you got, if you had access to American channels, you would, you know, be able to see these shows that look like they were from the other side of the world, it felt like. Um, and then if you, you know, Canadian local, because there's sort of rules in Canada that you have to have a, <coughs> excuse me, a certain amount of Canadian content and stuff. Um, and there was a part of me that originally didn't think I would leave. I thought I would get my degree and I would stay there. Um, it turned out to be a lot more challenging um, because I grew up in Quebec. You needed to know how to speak French and write in French. And I didn't really have all the skill sets to be able to work in a bilingual um, province. And so... I happened to have American citizenship and I was like, well, I could move to New York. I could move to LA. Like I've got to figure out where I can be to do the things that I want to do. And I never ruled out that I would go back if I could, or if the opportunity arose. And it turns out that I sort of get to straddle my home country and where I live now in that so many productions are split up around the world. And so I, I've worked on shows that have shot in my hometown in Montreal. They've shot in Toronto. They've shot in Vancouver. So I sort of feel like in my own little secret way, though I have nothing to do with it, I've like, I've held on to some of Canada in my work. So I've tried. I've tried. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, my, my question, I guess, you know, when you're going to university, you're going to college, everybody's goal, you know, or mostly everybody's goal is when you get out, you want to have that job. You know, it's like, what party are you going to? What this you're going to freshman, sophomore year, then junior year, senior year. It's like, what are you going to do now? Um, what was it like yeah. for you getting that first gig or first opportunity out, out of college for you? You know, was that set up for, by your professors or were you, you know, on the ground? No, <laughs> no. I mean, I probably spent the first couple years out of university really trying to secure a job. And I just, I wasn't having any luck, but I had a job. I worked for um, a film company that had a really big role in the Montreal Film Festival. So I sort of worked on that with them. Um, just like whatever they needed in the office, give it to that girl. She's out of college. She'll do it. She doesn't know any better. Um, so I really tried to do that. Um, but I didn't, I, weirdly, even the other people that graduated with me, I don't think any of us had enough going on that we could pull each other in to do something. We were all just scrambling to work. And so I really genuinely tried to do it in Canada. And then I was just like, well, let me see if I can go where there's more work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would, it, there was a bit of reluctance, but yeah, I, I left to try, I needed a job. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And and you touched on something too. I was going to ask about the people you were with, you know, sometimes, you know, we talk about so, so much in this uh, industry, how it's relationship based, you know, mm -hmm. were you, were you able to maintain the strong relationships with some of your classmates or was it something like, and not in the negative way, but was it just like, all no. right, we're out here, all of us, you know, who can get to the water fast? Like those, those turtles, when they're born in the sand, they got to get there. You can't worry about who's next to you. You got to go. It's true. It's true. There were a few people that were from Montreal that I knew were here. <clears throat> and it's a, it's quite a tight knit community. So if you lived in LA, certainly, you know, in the mid in the mid 90s, early 90s, when I moved here, you would find each other. Hmm. Yeah, you would find each other and just kind of try and root each other on or give each other helpful hints or at a very minimum, try and have like a monthly dinner because you just felt like you needed a little bit of home. And, you know, for those who still spoke French, I'm English is my first language, but I had a little French. So it was really nice to have some people to 
practice my French with before I completely lost it. Um, and there's definitely still to this day, there's um, a camaraderie that comes, that kicks in mm -hmm. when you walk into a room for a meeting or something and you find out someone's Canadian. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> First box yeah. ticked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's yeah. a mentality. There's a mentality that I think is very specific to Canadians versus things that are very specific to Americans. And I hold on to them for dear life because I'm incredibly proud of them. Yeah. I say I say thank you and sorry more than most people. I, whether it's my fault or not. I, I, I believe it. I have a cousin that uh he works, he's worked in Calgary for about five years now and he loves it. Just got his uh got everything redone again. So he's got another three year work visa and he's out there. Nice. And uh yeah, he's nice. enjoying it. I, I'm not sure we're gonna get him back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, your first job in LA, you know, was that was that the, the bus ride from Franklin and La Brea down yeah. to Wilshire? What was that? Yeah, um, answering phones at a film company, and ironically, <coughs> excuse me, the film company was getting ready to dismantle, but they still had some productions that they had to finish. So as long as there were productions um, in production and in post, they still needed somebody to answer the phone. So I was like, well, I'll take the job for as long as I can get. And I was doing this job and I was answering phones and slowly but surely the staff was getting smaller and smaller and there was less phone calls to transfer and less scripts to photocopy. <clears throat> and I started talking to a producer one day and, you know, nobody really signs up to be a career receptionist or a career assistant. Um, and this producer, I guess because we were losing staff and, they had things that needed to be done. And one of those things was coverage, reading a script and writing like a script book report for it. And um, he walked up to me one day and he goes, you seem to be a little too smart to just be answering phones. And I was like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what do you need? And he goes, do you know how to do coverage? And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. And he said, he, he made me go to the office of the woman who was in charge of development. And she sat down and she taught me this is how you read a script. This is the template for how you write a coverage. And so as more and more people were disappearing, I was I learned how to read scripts and do coverage. I learned how to research rights to books and things if you wanted to develop them into movies. Um, and this producer said to me one day, he said, you know, we all see this company's closing. And he's like, I have a film in development. And um, if you wanna learn how to make a movie from beginning to end, I can hire you. And I was like, okay, where do I sign? And he goes, I'm gonna come to you at some point. And I'm gonna tell you, you have to give two weeks notice. And I was like, okay. And then he walked up to Monday and he goes, give your notice. You have a job for the next year and a half. We're gonna go make a movie. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I quit my job. I gave my two weeks notice. And I spent the next year and a half working on the film of Mice and Men that starred John Malkovich and Gary Sinise and Sherilyn Fenn. And this producer, took me under his wing and let me sit in on every meeting, every casting call, everything, everything. Wow. I, I just yeah. got, I, I love entertainment and I, I love, I love movies. I love TV and film. And I got goosebumps just hearing you talk about that because <laughs> that's, that's the, I won't say the dream, but that's the, the thing that we do think about. It is the dream. It's like getting an opportunity yeah. to be a sponge, to soak it up and have somebody believe in you and reach out and say, come with me, I'm gonna show you the yeah. way. And it's like, and you were so receptive to it, even even your energy right now, I can tell it's, you know, you just have it like a love and like a, you know, openness to wanting to learn. 
Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I know that I was really fortunate that whatever I was putting out there about who I was and what I wanted was received by somebody. And, you know, I had no family here. I had no one here. I had $500 in my pocket when I moved here by myself. And so the fact that there was someone out there who was legit, not creepy, who just genuinely wanted to see me do well. And literally out of that job, when the movie ended at a year and a half, like I started from the script stage until the film was released. And then I, you know, there was no more work on it. So then he was like, okay, here, go be John Malkovich's assistant. So I went from learning how to be a producer's assistant. Then I became an actor's assistant. And then after six months, it's a very unique experience working for John Malkovich. I loved it, but it was unique. Yeah. Um, I got a full-time job working for a director. And so what had always been my goal was I knew that I loved entertainment. Like I drink it up and I just love that you can sit in a theater and be made to feel a certain way. And I knew I wanted to do this. I just didn't know how. So the great thing about this was I got to work in all these different factions of the business. And I told myself, Madonna, you can't decide what you want to do until you know how, what goes in the sausage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was really lucky that I got to work with all of these different components to figure out where I wanted to be, not realizing that my love of music was, I was actually on a pathway that was going to get me to where they would cross pollinate. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And you're, you're an amazing storyteller. Because you're you're making this easy for me. You're just lining up the interview and lining up the question. It's like we're coming right into the music super. Like, <laughs> there's so much that you've done in your career. My eyes lit up even looking at some of your credits. I, I went to Hampton University and one of our alum, I went to actually college with uh, Javicia, who's on Batwoman that you work on. Yes. Um, I was in the acting class uh, at an identity school of acting and uh, with Karima uh, Westbrook, and she's uh, the mom dispenser oh, on, a, on a, yeah, Grace on a All American. So I saw these credits. And I'm like, man, but your your storytelling. I'm like, oh yeah. Now we we can jump to where you are now, Vice President. But how do you how does your love for music translate to the career you've had and the opportunities and the jobs? What what led you from being those assistants to now you know that first opportunity in music and then turning that into more jobs and now this this lengthy career. Yeah, well, I was working, I was working in commercials, and I wanted to segue into music videos, because they were still a thing. And I just thought it was a really amazing form of storytelling. And it, the biggest character was the music in a music video. And I was like, this is amazing. Now, it's not incidental. This is a very purposeful choice of music and visuals. And I was into it. Um, and I worked at a at a music video company, and I just thought, oh, this is amazing. While I don't, while I'm not a writer, I'm not a director. I love music, and I think I speak the language. And having worked with a producer, having worked with an actor, having worked with a director, I felt like I developed the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So I, part of my job was to help, you know, directors put visuals to a song. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was the most amazing process. And then I just got really lucky. I had a friend who was a music supervisor, didn't even know the job existed, couldn't tell you what the title meant. Um, And she said to me like, oh, I've been working corporate job, but I used to be a music supervisor and I'm gonna go back to that. And I was like, what is that? Sounds cool, but what is that? She was like, oh, like, you know, in film and TV and ads and stuff, when you hear music, like it's the music supervisor's job to find that. And I was like, 
wait a minute, I'm doing that in reverse. Can you teach me how to do it the other way? When I'm getting a song and I'm helping someone create visuals, I'm pretty sure I could learn how to do this job backwards. Right. Get the visuals, find the song. And she said, okay, come work for me. <sighs> and I went to work for her and I have never looked back. Oh. Over 25 years, probably almost. <laughs> that is of so, doing this. That is so yeah. amazing. I fell into it, but I was like, oh my God, I found my place because I can't sing and I can't play an instrument, <laughs> but I love music. Like, how do I get this close to it, which is the gift that I have every day in my job is that I am this close to music and the people that create it. And I totally sponge off them. Yeah. The good feeling that comes from it yeah. without actually having to execute any of it myself. Oh, that is awesome. And that's a gift though. That's an ear to have a feel for it and to understand the placement and all of those things. I mean, I, I feel like I'm a music supervisor in my house, you know, every day because I'm here putting stuff <laughs> together while, while I'm cleaning and vacuuming while I'm doing. I'm like, oh yeah, that goes with this mood and feels. But that's that's just awesome. What what was your uh, first gig as a mu music supervisor? Well, when I had, I was working with Jennifer Pikin. That's mm -hmm. who took me under her wing and taught me how to do this. And we did a little horror film. I, I think I was the coordinator on the horror film. I was so excited. I got my first coordinator um, credit. And then we did. Um, the MTV series Undressed, which is kind of unheard of because it was on five days a week mm -hmm. and it was wall to wall music. And all of the music had to come from, you had to strip the sound off music videos. And that's how you sort of scored the show. Wow. Yeah. It was like working in a factory. It was like, go, go, go. We have 22 minutes of film to, you know, to fill with music every day, five days a week. Yeah. That you know, so I, I did that. And then probably the first like big job we did together was Felicity, wow. which I'll always be yeah. super, super proud of. That is, <laughs> that is amazing. That, that is amazing. I, I guess the tie, tying into, you know, obviously the name of the show in the podcast is Post in Black. We are, we're, we're always very curious because the, these are, these are some exciting opportunities that you're speaking of. Mm -hmm. Were you able to see, you know, in twofold, were you able to see anybody else of color, like black in these positions? And were you able to see any other, you know, black women, you know, like, you know, to be in nope. is like, nope. was there anybody nope. like you? No. Nope. What was that I feeling? I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> it was really bizarre because one of the interesting things very early in my career, like before you could really Google and look up what people looked like, mm -hmm. I would get invited to meet on projects and people were looking at things like, Felicity and Smallville, but they had no idea what I looked like. Mm. You know, they were they would call me in because they thought this, oh, her taste in music might work for our project. And then you would walk in the room and I would be like, oh, I'm the only woman in the room. Oh, I'm the only person of color in the room. Oh, I'm the only black woman in the room. And it would be a different level of a meeting because whether it was anyone's intention or not, you walked in and you felt like, not only do I have to prove that I deserve to be here and I might be the right person for the job, but looking on their faces, whether they know I can read it or not, there's also some stuff in this room I probably have to disprove. Mm. That was the difference. I had to disprove things when I walked in. Wow. So it was like, you got me in the room because of what you saw on paper, but now that I'm in front of you, you're wondering. <laughs> wow. 
That's is this the right person? Like that's so that's so real and that's so good that you that you say that. Um, Obviously, there could be people that feel pressure from that. Was there any pressure that you felt that kind of have to like be the one to set the standard or open up the door, or or did you like no? I'm just me. Well, definitely. I mean, it was it was terrifying. It was terrifying to be the the only one in the room, whether it was the woman or the person of color. And, you know, I think we all agree, like there's black spidey sense. There's black spidey sense. Nobody has to say anything to you. You can catch a flicker in someone's eye and you know exactly what they're thinking. So yeah, it was a little bit more pressure. And then when someone else came in the room that looked like me, I immediately, whether it was my job or not, I was like, we're in this together, like whatever it takes to keep us both here. And like, let's, let's keep the door cracked open for the next person. Like, what do we got to do? Like, oh my God, so happy to see you. I don't know who you are, but I'm not the only one in the room, Right. you know, but it took years. I mean, I started to see certainly more people of color, but I swear it took like 10, 15 years to not be the only woman. And to have to learn the language, to be in a room like one woman and 10 men. Wow. You know, I had to still be a nice lady, but I had to learn how to be really sort of firm, even even if it wasn't a part of my personality or it wasn't something that I instinctually wanted to do. I knew that I had to do it because I got my foot in the door. I got in the room and I didn't want to mess it up for me. I didn't want to mess it up for anyone else. You know, you hope that you have your career long enough that you can open the door for others. You know, so I was making choices, not just for me, but for other people. I didn't want to be the only person in the room. I thought it didn't make any sense. Right. You know, and I work with, I work with Nkecheo Coral Carroll, who, you know, all American and homecoming in it. And I remember watching her. Um, on a panel and she talked about, you know, sort of what it is to be the only person of color in the room and how, if that's the case, so many of us have had to learn how to tell white stories. I always repeat this thing that she said was we've all learned how to tell white stories because that's the majority of what was told. So I was brought up in a world where I had to learn how to tell white stories. And yet I would still walk in the room and have these moments where I'd be like, I'd want to be like, no, it's okay. I got this. Felicity, it doesn't get any whiter than that. Smallville, Superman, whitest man in the universe. Like, <laughs> I can do this. But so it was always, a, you know, that I knew I could do that and then just hoped that the longer I was in the room, that there would be a shift and that eventually there'd be more people like me in the room. There would be more women in the room. And thank God we started to tell different stories, stories that I could invest in in a different way or stories that reached back into something that was personal to me. That was the goal. And and the only way that was going to happen if other people who look like me were in the room and wanted to tell that story. Right. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. And that's that's so real and just so authentic. And I I appreciate you sharing that and and kind of tying the two together with your current position now. How? How does how do these experiences kind of lead you to operate daily in, in your position as a vice president? Uh, and, and just kind of like, you know, you're in a position where you can yeah. kind of facilitate or maybe have conversations and be a little bit more in the power uh, uh, scheme of things. Yeah, well, we as a guild, you know, we have one of the best overviews of who is doing our craft. Right. Um, which means we also have an overview of who's receiving opportunity and who's not. 
And then one step deeper than that is we have an overview of who deserves an opportunity to do the craft. And we recognized, we've always recognized that there were barriers. There's barriers for people to do this job. It's not always the best paying job. The money gets really spread out. It's quite niche. Um, and so one of the things when I got into a leadership role, early on when I was on the board, I was on the board before I was vice president, I looked into internship programs and there's legalities and things attached to what state you're in and stuff like that. And, it, and part of it is that they want interns to be paid. And I was like, supervisors are barely paid. Like you want them, to, I understand mm -hmm. the theory, but you want them to pay the intern when they're just trying to pay themselves and, you know, keep their head above water. So the next best possible thing was mentorships. Right. And so uh, someone came to us and said, the lovely Kelsey, um, Kelsey Mitchell came to us and said, you guys need a DEI program. And I was like, yes tell me what you want me to do. And I'm in a position of power. I will make this happen. Yeah. And we got it up and running. And I very proudly say that we've completed two rounds of mentorships. Mm. They're six months long. We pair mentees with music supervisor mentors. And to Kelsey's horror, I said the applications were open to everyone and anyone, not just people who have subscriptions as friends of the guild. I said, we can't talk about marginalized people having opportunity if we don't open up right. the application process. If you say you want to be a music supervisor, you're allowed to apply. That's it. That's the criteria. And if you want to be specific about who you are, are you black non-binary? Well, then we will try and find you a black non-binary supervisor. And the, the, the whole premise is, you got to see it to be it. So let us have an opportunity. We'll try and pair you with someone who understands who you are, but can also teach you about what they're doing. And you can make the decision if you want to be a supervisor. Right. That is that is powerful. Yeah. And I and I love I love the the intention. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. I love how long the mentorships are because that really gives you a time to actually learn. Because you know the industry is so heavy. Like sometimes, and it, I, I love all the efforts, but sometimes maybe a month may not be enough to get in and you may meet nope. once or twice. So doing six months, that really gives you time to kind of know somebody and get to understand them. Yeah. We also, um, within the guild, we have coordinators. We have something of a coordinator program, which is like a little unofficial university sort of. And we have volunteers who come and they work as coordinators with us. And we use it as a platform to help train and upstream people into getting jobs. Mm -hmm. So we teach them whatever we can that will help them get a job. Yeah, I think that's, important. you know, expose them to as much going back to what that first producer did. The greatest gift he gave me was just letting me be in the room, mm. listening in on, on phone calls, watching casting sessions, watching script notes, you know, so we do that now with our coordinators. We try and give them the, the the best overview of who we are mm -hmm. within our craft, what the industry holds in terms of opportunity for them. And then hopefully whatever they learn with us gets them a real job. It's, it's awesome. And that's I, the goal. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the goal. And I'm going to circle back. I have one more question for you. I'm going to circle back to you just being a great storyteller. You're tying everything together. How you go back to the, the opportunity to get in the room. That's the reason why my brother started the podcast. You know, he was at Berkeley college of music. 
and they were watching movies and he was watching all the movies. He said, wait, we're watching the movies to watch them the music. I actually want to go and put the music in the film. How do they do that? So he came out to LA from Boston and started working, yeah. you know, and went to a post school and was doing, you know, sound mixing, re-recording mix and just had the mentors. And his idea was like, I don't see anybody like me. I'm 22 years old and I'm the only one in this place. Let me just reach out to everyone. And usually if you don't see yourself somewhere, you don't think it's for you. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we all have, gro- I mean, there's grocery stores that we drive by like, Oh, that may not be, you know, there's, there's restaurants that we may not see a lot of yep. us at and are like, I don't know. It seems popular, but that might not be for us. And I think it's some ways in the same way in the industry in certain positions where you don't see people like you and you're like, Oh, that's just, that's just a, you know, that's a white job or that's no, it's an opportunity and it's a way to take care of your family and have a career and potentially work on shows that you love and watch for years to come. Um, One last question. I'll just ask you, you know, in terms of advice, you've worked with so many talented people over the years. Has there, has there been one piece of advice that has stuck with you? I mean, I've worked with some really amazing people and by amazing, I define that as they were really generous Mm. Um, they were generous in terms of what they let me do while I was working with them, um, whether it was right or wrong. Um, they gave me the room to learn and to grow. And one of the things that they always made me feel really great about, which I think is a really important part of advice to people is there was the difference between the people who let me do a great job because I'd earned the right to do the great job and never made me feel like I was lucky that they were letting me do the job. Like that was the difference. Um, And I sort of carry it with me. Like I, again, my spidey sense goes off when I'm in a room and somebody sort of Mm -hmm. has an approach that I should feel really grateful that I'm in the room and I and I and in my in the back of my mind I'm always like no I've worked with a lot of people who have told me I have every right to be in this room Mm. you know I'm gonna take my seat at the table move over you know that is I think (laughs) there's a difference that that is excellent I don't want to steal the thunder but that that similar advice was given to me as a as a, a voiceover artist I went into a room to record a spot and they were like, you're really good. And I was like, well, you know, I'm trying. He said, no, I have to record 15 sessions a day. And you yeah. come in and you give me 30 different reads and you do it in 10 minutes. And we're able to pick and choose all these different ones. You can hit the court. You're here because you can do the job. Don't don't downplay your skill. And I said, oh, <laughs> and, I, and I was great. And a lot of people won't tell you that. But I was grateful yeah. he did. And so now it's not an arrogance, but walking into the room. And I think that validation for you you pick up on that energy when it's not there. And you're like, no, I'm because it, it could have worked the other way. If somebody didn't validate you at the beginning, then maybe you're questioning when other people question you. But you've yeah. been you've been validated. You're like, no, I'm. I'm oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I give a lot of credit to um, I've done a lot of work with John Ridley over the years, and he's incredibly generous and trusting. And I thought our our working our working relationship took a great leap when I did American crime with him, um, he'd sent me the script and I read it. And then he was like, call me after you read it. I was like, okay. And he goes, so tell me, what do you think you want to do? And before I knew it, I blurted out and I go, let me tell you what I'm not going to (sighs) do. 
And he totally embraced that. And I was like, this is my approach. And he was like, okay, okay. It, you, you're here because I believe in who you are and how your brain is wired to do this musically. So he like let me lean into why he had me in the room and he let me do the work. And there were times when I don't think he, we necessarily were even on the same page about the work I was doing or the ideas that I had. And I can remember sitting with him one day and saying like, this is why this song is in here. And here's the whole like rabbit hole I went down to come to this decision. And I went on for like five, 10 minutes. And then at the end he goes, I still don't understand, but you're so passionate about it. I'm just gonna let you do it. And I was like, that's what needs to be happening in the room. If you hire someone and you trust them and they have the right to be there, then you can respect the work that they're doing. Yeah. You know? I love it. They're not lucky. They work their way into the room. They did. Exactly. Exactly. Is there anything we're going to get you out of here on this? Is there anything that you're, you're working on? I could on? be here all day. Oh, I know. We, we, <laughs> we got to get another interview because this is too good. Is is there anything that you're working on currently that we can uh, stay, you know, stay up to date on, be connected with? I, I know some things, but is there anything you're working on or ways people can keep in touch with you as well? Um, I'm not easy to be in touch with. <laughs> so we don't even want to talk about the amount of emails I get a day. No if word. there's, if it's, if it's 150 or less, that's a good day. Um, yeah. I'm getting, I mean, I'm working on a John Ridley project right now. I'm working on the film Shirley, yeah. uh, starring and produced by Regina King, yeah. produced and directed by John Ridley. We just wrapped um, principal production uh, photography on that. We're in post. It's a, Gorgeous story of yeah. Shirley Chisholm. So, you know, these are the these are the kind of projects that I worked my whole career to get to, and yeah. these are the kind of stories I want to tell. That you know, when I talk about the investment of my work, like I can pick a song till the cows come home, but there's a whole nother level when you love the story and it's important, and you you know, I'm just grateful that I get to have one tiny piece of telling it, yeah. like. My name will be in there somewhere. Um, so I've got that. I'm working on that. I've got an uh, an amazing uh, Disney Plus show that's going into production this summer called The Crossover, based on the book The Crossover by Kwame Alexander, mm -hmm. which is poetry and prose, which I don't think I've ever really seen in television. Like there is literally going to be words of poetry floating across the screen while someone is dribbling a basketball to the beat of the prose. I just, <laughs> to me, it's like, it's like, you know, television theater. I'm yeah. so excited. Got that coming up. So it's about two, tw about twin brothers. One goes to the NBA. Um, <clears throat> and then I'm hoping to have some vacation time. Yes. Which really means only doing this number of projects as opposed to this number of projects. So. Oh man, no, staying busy, but you, you, it's a, it's, yeah. there's no, there's no uh, surprise why. I mean, just your love for it and, and the skill and everything. So, Madonna, we just, we just thank you. This was a joy to have you thank on you. episode of Post. Like, thank you so much for your time. And for those of you tuning in, we thank you again for tuning in and listening and watching another episode of Post in Black. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media channels at Post in Black. And until next time, we thank you for tuning in. See you later. Thank you. Thanks for having me.